all of the Bible in Romans chapter 4. Um, it's in a series that we've titled Made Right, because what we're learning is for us to be right with God. That's something he has to do. We can't make ourselves right with God. All we can do is place our lives in his hands, and he makes us right. That's why Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. Uh, this morning, I, I titled this Like Father, Like Son, because we're talking about Abraham. But really, I could, I could put it this way to you if you're a note taker. Um, you might title this morning's message, the person God blesses, because it makes no difference if you are a man, woman, young person, or child. He really lays out for us here in chapter four, the person that God blesses. And I think that uh, should strike interest in all of our hearts and minds. Uh, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 11, and we're actually going to read through verse 25 here this morning. <clears throat> how deep we get into this, I don't know. We'll see how, how it rolls out. There is just so, so much uh, to cover here. Um, I'll read this. And again, I told you starting the first of the year, I'm reading from the NLT translation. So enjoy whatever translation you have. Hopefully this will just be a great accompaniment to uh, what the Lord has for you. I just have really appreciated um, this in my own life. It just helps me as I'm meeting with new believers, especially to be able to help them um, you know, put things into perspective and make sense of words that they, they might not otherwise make sense of. And, and that's really our hope and our goal as we, we go into 2022 is to reach more people who've been lost and bring them into the fold. Um, obviously, if you've been raised in the church, you probably have a King James version or you've got, you know, an Amplified or a New King James or something along those lines, maybe at uh, NIV. Um, but uh, this is a great translation and uh, it's really, really been so impactful for me, and I just really appreciate uh, the Lord making this available. So I'll read to you from it, just I tell you that. So if all of a sudden you're going, I'm not following him because it's not reading from the New King James. This is the New Living Translation. And it says, circumcision, speaking uh, about Abraham's life here, it says, was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith, but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean, <coughs> mean, excuse me, when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, 
He figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted it to him as righteousness. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the only one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. I love that. Father, we thank you for your word and pray this morning, Lord, as we dig into this, that God, it would bring us strength and it would increase our faith. Uh, Lord, we know faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by your word. And so, Lord, as your word goes forth, may we have eyes to see, Lord, what you have for us today. May we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would speak to us. We pray for your glory and our good as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so when you read, you know, chapter four, you know, you understand something that, um, you know, what Abraham actually has gone through, God actually wants to take all of us through. This isn't just about Abraham. This is about me and you. Like I said, like father, like son, or the type of person that God blesses is the person who trusts him, who lives by faith. So Abraham's our example. Um, you know, again, what Abraham had to go through in his own life, guess what? You're going to have to go through, and I'm going to have to go through in mine too. You know, God uh, orchestrated the circumstances of Abraham's life, and he does the same thing in your life and mine as well. He, and why does he do it? He does it so we learn how to what? To walk by faith and not by sight. That's the struggle of all of our lives. James 1, 2 through 4 puts it like this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For when you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, and needing nothing. You know, the problem is, is there anybody here that likes to wait? Anybody like stoplights or traffic? You know, how many, how many have said in the last, you know, months that you go, man, Bakersfield's getting like L.A.? You know, you get on the freeway and it's like, you go, oh, man, is there any small towns, you know, that we could move to, you know, that... Don't, you know, you know, I think it was Hanford for a number of years only had one stop sign, you know, or Lemoore, one of those. And, you know, now it's, they're big and they go, yeah, we've got all kinds of stoplights, you know. Uh, everything changes, but God uses waiting to strengthen us, not to harm us. You know, 1 Corinthians, you know, 10, 13 reminds us that, you know, God never gives us more than he can handle. You ever felt like God gave you more than you can handle? You know, he does. He takes us to the breaking point, but he never gives us more then we're able to bear. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us because God gives us the ability. So it's not in our own strength, but it's in the strength of God that we're able to accomplish that. And yet when I, I, I think of you know, this book, and I've been sharing with you almost weekly that you know, the book of Romans has had a tremendous impact in every great revival that, that has ever broken out within the church. And I, and I look at this, this chapter in particular because you know, I, I feel bad in, in, in some ways you know, when you teach the Bible you know, if you've been here at all for the first three chapters, those, those were brutal, weren't they? You know, you think about, you know, to, that God has taken us all to a place in the sense it's like he's twisting your arm, you know, in a spiritual way for us to cry uncle, you know, to give up and to surrender, to know that there's none righteous, no, not one, right? 
And that goes against our pride because we want so much to be, you know, somewhat good as to why maybe God chose us, you know, that there was something in us that God saw was redeemable, but there wasn't. And Paul, you know, just as a great prosecutor, like I said, he starts with, you know, the, the pagan, then he moves to, you know, the moralist, and then he gets to the spiritualist, the religious person, and he just says, hey, basically, you're all, all guilty. And you've got to go through that, obviously, you know, to get to you know, the experience that God desires that we read in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. But you go, but how do you get there? So there's this pivot chapter, you might say, and it's chapter 4. It's the only way that you get out of being, you know, totally destitute and to be able to experience the abundant life that God has for you. It, it hinges on, on us, you know, being able to understand Abraham's life. And if you can, if you can grasp, you know, the, the story of Abraham's life and you can see the significance in your own, then guess what? Then you're on the right track for the same kind of blessing that Abraham received. You know, because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I mean, I can, I can go and I can read Hebrews chapter 11, right? You, you've all read Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the hall of faith, right? And you look at these people and you go, oh, and then you start studying their lives, you know, in scripture and you go, wait a second. They weren't really that great, great of people. They did like one, one thing, you know, in one sense. And, and so you start looking at the stories and you go, I start to figure out that, what God does, what he majors in is he, he does extraordinary things through ordinary people. You know, I did a, a funeral yesterday for a 22-year-old kid that um, was killed in a car accident here in Bakersfield, 22 years old. He was an EMT for um, Hall Ambulance. His name was Trenton Jones. And Trenton was a kid that was on his way to making things happen. He was going back to school to study to be a nurse, wanted to be a male nurse. And one of the great things about his life was he loved God. He had a, a, a real relationship with God. And you look at that and you go, man, it's like, you know, God, why, why do those things, you know, why do those things happen? You know, and, and, you know, we, we, we struggle because we, we look at people's lives and I'm going, he was 22. But as I listen to the stories about his life, I'm going, man, you know, he's one of my heroes. Just, I didn't know him personally, but just like I didn't know Abraham personally, you know. I didn't know Sarah. I didn't know Isaac. I didn't know Jacob. I didn't know the patriarchs. I didn't know the matriarchs. You know, I didn't know Elijah. I didn't know Elisha. You know, I didn't know Moses. You know, you, you read all these things. I didn't know Rahab. You go, but you read their stories. You hear their stories. And we look at that and we tend to think that what God does is he, he picks the, the people that are the pinnacle, you know, that they're, they really got something going. But then you study scripture and you go, who God picked was, you know, is the deplorables, the people that nobody else in the sense wanted, or they didn't see it within themselves. That's one of the great joys that we have in ministry. We, John's teaching on and has been on spiritual gifts. And those gifts, they're not something that we have in and of ourselves. They're, they're endowed from God himself. And to be able to have spiritual eyes and to be able to recognize those things in other people, there, there's no greater, greater joy because those aren't natural talents. Those aren't things that you had, then you just all of a sudden bring it to God and, and you go, oh, that's, that's why, you know, I'm good at that. And you go, no, these, these things, they come out of left field. You know, it's like you would never think, you know, it's like Moses, you know, speaking for God. He's going, hey, I just, God, I, I, I stutter. Okay, I'll send Aaron with you, you know. And then all of a sudden you don't see him stuttering at all. 
There's something that God does. You know, Paul would write you know, that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. You know, what God does in the kingdom is so unlike, you know, the world. It's the world that I've been telling you, you know, flipped upside down. And yet there's this life that God has for us that we're going to get into in chapters five, six, seven, and eight. But you've got to go through chapter four to get there. You know, you've got to move from death to life. You've got to move from chapters one, two, and three, which is death. It's all about death. You go, how do we get to that place of life? And to think that, you know, God's going to do that in and through these circumstances that, that are so hard, so hard at times, you know, for us to, to comprehend. But if we're going to, like I said, enjoy the things that we, we read about in chapters five through eight, then we've got to go there. We've got to, we've got to grasp Abraham's story. And again, understand that it's not just for Abraham, but his story is for me and for you. We put ourselves in that place. You look there in verses 11 and 12, it says, you know, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith, right? That, he, that God had accepted him and declared him righteous even before he was circumcised. So what Paul is, is talking about <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, to summarize what Paul's saying there is, there was a time, you know, in Abraham's life when he had faith and he was still uncircumcised. There was also a time when Abraham had faith uh, when he was circumcised. So what it points out, you know, to us is that both believing Jews and the believing Gentiles can claim Abraham as their father, okay? That, that's, that's really what he's, he's leading to here. Abraham is the father of faith to all who believe, both Jews and and non-Jews. In verse 13, he goes on, he says, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on Abraham's obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. You know, when I did this uh, memorial yesterday, I was talking about, you know, I'd met with the family and asked them, you know, obviously, how did they want the service to go? And, and his mom said, you know, one of the things I want people to understand is you know, that we don't know how long we're going to be here on this earth. I mean, he, Trent was only 22 years old. And she said, you know, I want people to understand that life is, is short, even if you live a long time. And, and it's about family. It's about relationships. It's about love. And she said, you know, the last, you know, thing that she, discussion she had with her son was on the phone because she lives in, in Utah, in Salt Lake City. And Trent lived here in Bakersfield. And she said that um, their last conversation, you know, when she hung up, she said, you know, son, I love you. And he said, mom, I love you. And, and that was their conversation. And she said, you know, I, I want, I, I just want people to understand that, you know, um, I mean, this could happen to anybody. And I thought about that, you know, as I talked to her, because I thought back, can you think of any time, you don't have to raise your hand to it, can you think of a situation in your life where you could have died? Or just, I mean, by a fraction, you know, whether it was going through an intersection and a car went through, you see, you know, if you watch social media and they show those pictures and there's a guy walking on the sidewalk, right? And a car just comes down and it flips right in front of him and bounces over the guy, right? You're going, oh my gosh. You go, it could have been him, right? And there's so many circumstances um, where, you know, we could have died. But by the grace of God, you know, we're still here. And so I was standing at the graveside and I was watching, you know, stayed with the family till the end and they were lowering the casket and everybody left except for just a few, maybe four or five of the immediate family. And so I was standing off to the side, just watching. And there was a family friend who'd flown out from Arkansas and uh, she was standing next to me and, and um, she began to share with me 
about her own circumstance. Uh, she said, you know, I was, because I, she says, you know, yeah, you, you said that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, we really need to think about life, you know, that are we ready to meet God? Because we don't really know when we're going to meet God. And she said, you know, I, I had my own experience like that. She said, I was in a car accident, um, a head-on collision. She said, where a car hit me head-on. She goes, the driver of the other car was killed instantly. And she goes, and I, all I did was I broke my hip. And she said, but, you know, I'm, I've been now trying to figure out since that accident, why am I here? And she said something specific. She said, what is it that God is wanting me to do? So I listened to her for a moment and I said, you know, could I, could I make a suggestion to you? And she said, yeah, certainly. And I said, I don't believe God's calling you to do anything. She looks at me like, you know, that's strange. And I said, well, think about it. I said, we have God's word. I said, in John chapter 17, I go, Jesus prays for us before he goes to the cross. He prays for all the believers, includes me and you. I go, he never prayed that we would go out and do something. There's nothing in that prayer. He doesn't say, Father, you know, help them go out and do, 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 do. If you remember what he prayed in John 17, 3, he said, Father, that they might, what? Know you. And they might know your son. Knowing God. Because knowing is what leads to our doing, right? I, and I told her, I said, it's kind of like this. I go, you know, if you've got called into court, you don't get called into court in the sense because of what you do. You get called into court to witness or testify because of what you know. Even if what your job is, like maybe you're a forensic scientist, a doctor, it's not your job in the sense of what you're doing. It's what you know. That is what goes on the record. And so it was really interesting, you know, to, to see, you know, how she would respond to that. And I go, so, you know, I would just, I would just encourage you to spend the rest of your life getting to know God, understanding who he is and what he's capable of doing. Because what you know about God, like I said, will lead to the things that, you know, if there is a doing, obviously, because we all do things, but it'll stem from your knowing not the other way around, because religion is always trying to do, 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 you know, that's what the law was. Oh, well, please God, if we keep the law. And he goes, no, you please me by what? By believing me, by trusting, not in yourselves, but what God did for us. And so it was, it was something that was really encouraging, you know, as I, as I sat there with her. And so when I, I look at verse 13 there, um, you know, God had made a promise to Abraham and his seed that he would be the heir of the world. And so you think about, you know, what God was promising there. You know, it wasn't a conditional promise, right? I mean, he didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to do this if you, you know, do this or this or this, because the law wasn't given for some, you know, with regard to the circumcision and everything else and the laws of Moses, you know, some 430 years later. And so God's promise to Abraham was an unconditional promise to be received by faith, the same kind of faith which God you know, offers you and I to obtain righteousness. We receive it when we receive him, his word by faith. Verse 14 goes on, it says, and if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then it says, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So like I said, anyone who seeks God's blessing, particularly the blessing of justification, if you're able to inherit on the basis of keeping the law, then faith is made void. And then the promise that God made is worthless because faith is set aside because the principle is completely opposite to the law. Because what? Faith is what? It's a matter of believing while the law is a matter of doing. 
And this is what Paul, you know, is really drawing out here, that we're not saved by doing, we're saved by believing, trusting in God and what God has done for us. And that runs so counter to us because, again, we want to prove, you know, who we are by the things that we do. Now, Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. But where does that love come from? There's nothing within ourselves. It's a love that comes from knowing God, right? Everything stems from a personal relationship with God. Verse 15 says, for the law always brings about punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way, you know, this is in parentheses in my translation, says the only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So what does the law do? The law brings about God's wrath, not his blessing. That's what Paul is pointing out to us here. It condemns those who fail to keep the commandments perfectly and all the time. Has anybody done that? You go, no. So guess what? All are guilty, just like Paul said. You know, some of your Bibles use the word transgression to say that there, where there is no law, there's no transgression, right? And transgression means the violation of a known law. You know, so the purpose of the law was to do what? Was to bring knowledge to our sinfulness. Okay, it wasn't given to justify us. It was given to demonstrate that we were law breakers. Now, have you ever got a ticket and they told you to go to court. And when you got to court, they said, well, the only reason we brought you in is because we wanted to tell you what a good citizen that you are, right? Is that what they do when they give you a citation? They go, no, you broke the law. You broke a known law, okay? They don't just say, oh, we just want you to go to court because we just want to, you know, give you a ticket. It's usually because you violated a known statute. It's a transgression that it has to be known. Now, you can violate the law without there, in the true sense, there being a stated law because God's given us a conscience, right? But the law was given so there was no excuse, right? It was to be perimeters, you know, that would be put around the nation of Israel. So again, the law wasn't given ever to justify man, but to do what? To condemn him, to point out the sinfulness of our lives and what? Our need for a savior. That's exactly what the law was doing. And so, when the Jews, you know, they thought, you know, they inherited a blessing through having the law, but all they really did was inherit what? A transgression, a knowledge of just how sinful they were. It just didn't, they just didn't see it. That's the, there was their problem. They were blind to it. But God never intended it to be, you know, the law, a way of salvation, you know, for sinful lawbreakers. You know, God's intent was that we would recognize our need for a savior. Amen. That, that's what the law does. So when you read the law, like I said, it doesn't justify us. Because in one part, you know, you go, oh, I keep this part of the law. But what does scripture tell us? If you keep one part and you break one part, guess what? You're guilty of what? Not just the part, right? Yeah. And he goes, now you're guilty of it all. That's what Paul would say too. He said, you know, I kept all the commandments, right? Outwardly, he said, until I got to number 10. And then I realized, you know, the sin of covetousness. He goes, I could attach covetousness to every sin because I realized real sin, the, the nature of sin is what? It's in my heart. That's why Jesus then, you know, shares and he says, if a man looks upon a woman with lust, you go, you don't have to do it. If it's in your heart, it's just like doing it, you know? So anger or murder or any of those things, he goes, it's in your heart. And so you can't say, well, you know, I've got this area down, but I've got all these other areas down, so I'm something. <laughs> no, God said, if you break one, you might as well have just broken them all. You're guilty as sin. And this is why people, and this is why I said it was kind of sad the people that have been here the first three weeks and then bailed because they just went, man, you know, this is just too hard. It's like, man, you're just, I kept telling you, hold on, man, the good news is coming. Paul was just trying to bring us all to equal footing 
So that, you know, now the blessing of going, wow, but I've got good news for you. But you, it wouldn't be good news if there wasn't bad news, right? You really wouldn't know what sweet is unless you tried bitter, right? I mean, there's a contrast there. So we recognize it. But man, to get to the blessing, it, it's, it's equal ground. We talk about the ground at the cross is equal. And it's really, it's level. And it really is. And it's chapter four here. Verse 16, this kind of gets to the nuts and bolts of really everything that I really wanted to share with you today. He says in verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift and we're all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, we have faith like Abraham's for Abraham is the father of all who believe. You know, and because law produces God's wrath and not his justification, you know, God is determined that he would save men by grace through faith. That's how God has always done it. That's how God will always do it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You can read that for yourself. You know, every person is saved by what? God's grace through faith. Believing and trusting what God. It's not, you know, I love the NLT translation here. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's so true. Was Abraham saved because of something that he did? Or was he saved because God chose him? And he believed God. He took God at his word. I mean, is there anything from his past? I mean, his father was a moon worshiper, right? He was, he was, a, he was a pagan. I mean, there wasn't anything in his pedigree that, you know, that would demonstrate that he was worthy, you know, of this. Nothing, nothing in his past at all. But what, what does God do? He chooses him. It's like Jesus saying, you know, it's not that you love me, but what? The great, the great truth of the gospel is what? That God loved me and he loved you. God loves you. Think about that. That he loves you. And he doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know that truth. And Abraham Abraham came to saving faith the same way that you and I come to saving faith. He believed God. He believed God. And God counted that to him as righteousness. Verse 17 says this. It says, this is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Like I said, for Abraham to receive God's promise, Abraham had to do something that you and I have to come to terms with too. Abraham had to come to terms with his past. You think about that. You know what God just told him. So what was true for Abraham is true for every, every child of Abraham, every person who comes to God by faith. We, we look here in verses 17 and verse 19. You know, what did Abraham have to do? Because he has to do, and he's a model for what? you and I have to do, if we're going to inherit the blessing of God, if we're going to be people that God blesses, you know, if we're going to live like father, like son, you know, what did Abraham do? He had to take his eyes off his own fruitlessness. I mean, you think about what hinders people, whether it's coming to Christ or being used of God, is it your present? Usually it's your past, isn't it? It's your past. That's how it was for Abraham. He was, I mean, you got to think about it. He was fruitless. He had no children. I mean, here's God telling him, you're going to be the father, you know, Abraham, you know, exalted father to Abraham, father of many, many nations. 
You know? So what's the point? The same point for Abraham is the point for me and for you today. Do you think God is interested in your past? No. He's not interested in your past. He wasn't interested in Abraham's. He doesn't bring up anything. He just tells him, hey, that's why it's so easy for God to go, hey, get away from there, right? Leave that and boom. Because the past doesn't mean anything. You don't have a past in God. That's really the truest thing. I've been trying to share that with you for months, you know, different studies. You understand that for a believer, you don't have a past. You have a hope and you have a future. Because if you think about it, the things that are destroying you in your life, it's what we talked to Pastor Mike Atkinson about, Recovery 180. What is it? It's people's past. They can't get past their past. And they get in this cycle and it's history repeating itself and being, instead of being set free. That's why, again, coming to God on his terms and believing him. But to do that, you, you have to come the same way that Abraham did. Like I said, God wasn't interested in Abraham's past. He's not interested in mine or yours either. I mean, you think about, you know, what did, what did we bring to the table that we really could offer, offer God that has to do with God's plan? Like I said, actually, if we're honest about it, our past tends to get in God's way. Would you agree with that? I know mine does. That's why I love, and I'm not going to read it to you, but, you know, Paul in Philippians chapter three, remember he says, you know, he goes through his own pedigree. He says, you know, if you think, you know, you know, your life is something, he goes, mine was pretty good. You know, you know, circumcised the eighth day, you know, tribe of Benjamin, you know, what do you say? You know, a Pharisee, you know, he goes through all his pedigrees. Like, you know, if I was something, man, he goes, if you think you're something, he goes, I was, I was that much more. And he goes, but what, guess what? I count all that as what? loss because it's nothing with regard to what god has for you and what he desires to do in your life now and in the future and that's why paul said you know i could let it go and he did and god told abraham you know he said i'm going to do something so great in you that it's beyond anything that you could even imagine you know what and what's true about abraham is true about you it's true about me didn't Paul write this in 1 Corinthians 2.9? He said, you know, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor is, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those that love him. Think about that. Philippians 1.6, Paul would write, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will what? Will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, Abraham had to take his eyes off his deadness, off himself, off his past. The same is true for me and you. See, God sees something in you, church, you can't see within yourself. If you could, you'd be God. And, and it's, it's why this chapter is, is so important, because there's nothing in Abraham's past that would even suggest as to what God was promising him. And we try to connect the dots. And, and God, he says, his ways are what? They're high above our ways. They're beyond, you know, finding out. You know, what's, what? Impossible with man. What does scripture say? It's possible with God, right? Yeah, God, I mean, he, man, he, he works within the impossibilities, you know, and makes them possible. With God, all things are possible. And like I said, he wasn't interested in Abraham's past at all. He wasn't interested in his successes. He wasn't interested in his failures. Abraham couldn't merit it. He definitely didn't deserve it. 
I mean, there was nothing in his life he could examine. There was nothing in him that merited God blessing him like God was going to do what God had promised to do. I mean, this was beyond Abraham's wildest dream. He, I mean, when, you, when you're, you know, childless at his age, you'd go, man, if God just gave me a child. And God walks you outside and shows you the heavens, and he goes, and your family's going to be more than the stars of the heavens. And I guarantee you, he didn't take Abraham out on a cloudy day where you could only see maybe one or two stars, okay? This is when things were popping, right? I mean, you're out there, and I mean, it's in a desert, dark. There's no street lights. There's no city lights. It's always fun when people go to Walker Basin for the first time, and uh, they're there on the, on the deck, and they're looking up to the sky. They go, man, what are all those lights? Those are the stars. Yeah, but there's like a, it's like it's creamy, like it's milky. Like, oh, is that the Milky Way? I get why they call it the Milky Way now. Because it looks milky. There's so much light. And you just, it's fascinating. And here's God going, Abraham, your kids, your heirs are going to be like this. And he goes, I ain't, what? All he knows is this deadness. Can you kind of wrap your mind around that? I mean, that there's nothing, there's nothing in him, you know, and God's making a promise that's so far beyond him. And God wants to make that same promise to us as well. Why would God do that? that that's the question that comes to mind because that's the question that we wrestle with. Why would God do that for me? And you want to look at your merit, right? Well, I don't deserve this. Good, you don't. That's not why God makes the promise. God makes the promise because God is good, amen? Because God is love. God is kind. God is faithful. I mean, you think of, you know, all the things that God is to us. He's wonderful. You know, Larry was talking about that in worship, just sitting down and really paying attention, you know, to his presence in our life. And all God was asking Abraham to do is what he's asking me and you to do today. Take my hand. Trust me. Walk with me. Take my hand. Trust me. Walk with me. You know, you think about what risk did, did Abraham really have? I mean, the Bible says that he was as good as dead, right? He's 100 years old. I mean, and what that saying is not that he was going to die physically, but within him, the ability to, to have children, you know, was he was past that. There was nothing in him capable of bringing about the blessing that God wanted to provide for him. Both he and Sarah, I mean, they were well, think about their lives here, well beyond childbearing years. I mean, they've been married for like 75 years at this point. And I think they've probably been trying since day one, right? You imagine you're just going 75 years and you're still trying. That, that's rewarding in and of itself that you go, man, because most people do what? I mean, I've had people come to my office that, you know, young kids in particular that have been married for a short period of time and in tears and go, Pastor Mike, you know, we've been trying for three months to have a baby and we can't have a baby, you know, we're going to adopt. And I go, well, why don't you just be patient? Sometimes God's just, you know, trying to, maybe you're stressing out over this. You, you're wanting something so much, you know, be, be, just trust God, be satisfied with God. Oh, you know, and then next thing you know, they, they do, they go out and adopt, right? And it's a wonderful thing, you know, adoption. And they're just so happy. And guess what happens three months later? They come in, they go, guess what? Pastor Mike, we're having a baby. And I go, no, you got a baby. No, we're having our own. You go, what'd they do? And they go, well, they quit, you know, they quit trying so hard. You rest. You trust God. You go, okay, God, 
give it, give it over to you. Didn't even worry about it at that point. And God blesses. God does it all the time. And yet, you look at how God works in Abraham's life. I mean, you know, why he talks about, you know, Abraham believing him. Because like I said, there has to be a, a, a sense. He's, he's human. He's like us. I mean, to go 30, 40, 50, 60 years and, and, and wanting something, praying to God, you know, like, like Hannah, praying to God, you know, where you go before, you know, Eli and you're praying, your lips are quivering so bad that, you know, they, they, you, you're in so much pain that he thinks you're drunk, right? Because you're so broken. You ever, you ever had that kind of a cry before God? Yeah. And here's Abraham, this, the same place in his life. You know, oftentimes, you know, God does his greatest work when we reach our lowest point. Why? You go because we recognize we can't get any of the credit. Only God can. You reach that place where you give up. Isn't that really what salvation is all about? You quit trying on your own to reach God and your own effort and your own energy. And you go, okay, God, I, what, what does God want us to do? Surrender, right? Surrender our heart, surrender our life to him. Naturally, when you look at Sarah and Abraham here, I mean, there's, they have no life to give. They can't produce life. There's nothing in them except death. And that's exactly what, you know, the apostle Paul said that exists within us spiritually. You know, chapters one, two, and three. We have nothing within us to produce life within ourselves. We can't even produce the life that we ultimately really, really want. We don't have the capacity. We are hopeless when we are left to ourselves. Paul would write in Romans chapter seven, verse 18, he says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. He said, you know, I'm rotten to the core. That, that's what he was saying. I'm rotten through and through. And Abraham has to come to that place where he recognizes himself that he's dead. There, there's, there's no reason that God should love me. There's no reason that God should make me this promise. It just demonstrates the goodness of God. You know, it's so easy at this point right here, you look at Abraham's life. If we were in that position, would we give up hope? You know, and, and one of the things we see in the end times, the Bible tells us about is many, many, the Bible says, are going to walk away from God. And it says, and their love will wax cold because what? They'll give up hope. They'll give up hope. Instead of believing and trusting God, you know, Abraham, like I said, is a wonderful picture of being hurting so bad, you know, wanting something 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, you know, plus years. And then realizing, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen within us. And God does something totally amazing. That's where verse 17, when you look at that and he says, this happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Like I said, Abraham knew God wasn't interested in his past, but he also wasn't interested in his present either. That, that's what's interesting here. Abraham had to get over his past. He also has to get over his present. Abraham had to understand what God was doing by faith because it had nothing to do with his present. It had nothing to do with his past. He had to put his eyes on the Lord and place his faith in God in his present condition. And that's what you and I 
have to do as well. So what Paul was doing here, he was looking back, like I said, to Genesis chapter 15, you know, when God took Abraham outside and he showed him all the stars in the sky. And Abraham at that point was, like I said, he was past the point, Scripture says, uh, of, of he was being dead, fruitless. I mean, think, and then God has the audacity in that moment. When you're at your worst, you're, you're down and out, and God says, so shall your seed be, like the stars in the heavens. You go, ooh, that's like turning the knife, right? Sticking it in and turning it. It's like, oh, but that's not how Abraham received it. He went, wow, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't even know why you're going to do it. But thank God you are. Thank God you are. And again, the thing I want to point out here, what God did for Abraham, God wants to do for you. Scripture tells us, you know, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, you know, God's not a respecter of persons. I love the NLT in that. It says, for God does not show favoritism. It's not like you're going to get to heaven, you know, and it's not just, you know, going to be the heroes up there that are going to be, you know, telling us everything that's going to go on. You're going to meet, you know, like a Trenton Jones. You're going to meet, you know, someone like... Uh, Ramona, you know, Mona's mom. I mean, you think about her in the last days of her life and, and you get to see genuine faith really lived out. I mean, these are people that we know. It's not just stuff you read in books or read in scripture that you go, here's somebody at the end of their life where we're going, hey, you know, we want to pray for you and pray that you get healed. And it's like, honey, don't, don't, I don't, I want to go home. I, I want to go be with Jesus. I want, I want to see my savior face to face. They have that kind of hope and that kind of confidence, right? And you go, wow, to know that we actually have people around us. And there's people that, that's why it's, it's so good to, to share life and to share testimony, you know, of what God is doing in your life. We think, ah, you know, what, what do I got to share? You know, the faithfulness of God, an area of your life where, you know, you're believing God. You know, it doesn't mean that it happened yet. Read, you know, Hebrews chapter 11. What does it tell us about the hall of faith? It says they all died what? Without what? Receiving the promise. But yet what? It says they received it because they saw it afar off. They knew that God was faithful. They knew if they didn't get it today, they were certainly going to get it. That's why Abraham could offer up Isaac, right? He's going, okay, I wanted a son. I wanted a son. And you're telling me to offer my only son on, the, on this altar of sacrifice? Can you imagine Abraham at that point? No, 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 God. I waited 100 years for this. no. Find somebody else, you know. But what did Abraham say? He said, God will surely provide the lamb. God's, he's going, I, I don't know how God will do it. He goes, even if, I, even if I take his life, God's capable of doing what? He's capable of bringing him back, back to life. That's great faith. When you only got one, right? I mean, if you got a bunch, I mean, probably, how many of you have teenagers here? Because, you know, Isaac's probably about a teenager at this point. I mean, you might consider offering your teenager up to God at that point. You know, they get a little rebellious, you know, and you go, I yeah, could see that, but you go, but you're, you're one and only? I mean, you go, whoa, no, no, not at all. And yet here's this faith of Abraham, trusting God, believing God. And yet you and I are going to have to come to that same place. I put my notes here. You know, God has a sky full of stars that he wants to show you. There's something, you know, in your life, something that's dead to you. Something that maybe you've prayed about, prayed for. You know, 
believed in faith, lost hope, given up on it. That's one of the, the great blessings that we have. It's one of the things, you know, doing a memorial service, you know, is reminding people that, hey, we mourn, but not as the world mourns, as those who have what? No hope. We hope against hope, right? That's what scripture tells us. All God wants us to do is, is say exactly what Abraham said. You want to be a person that God blesses? You say, God, I believe. I believe. Believe. Believe his promises. Don't make up your own. Believe his. Thousands of promises, you know, within scripture. Abraham had a choice. He had a choice to make. You and I have a choice to make. And God, he does. He challenges us. He challenges us with the potential. You think about this. What God could do in our lives if only what? We would believe. If only we would trust him. And see, you read scripture just like I do. And you go, man, I believe God's calling me to step out in faith. Lord, I believe, but help my, my unbelief. But that's what we have to do if we're going to receive the promises of God. To say, God, I believe. And think about it. I mean, God took Abraham out and he showed him the stars in the heavens, right? Who hung the stars? He did. I think he numbered them all. There's, there's nothing too difficult for God, okay? There's nothing that's impossible for God. And he's, all he's asking us to do is go, believe the God of the impossible. Just as he said to Abraham, so shall thy seed be. At that point, he'd been married about 50 years. Didn't have any kids. Verse 18 goes on. It says, and even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. Proves the point. Good things come to them that wait. Verse 20 goes on, it says, and Abraham never wavered. He wavered. He wavered a lot. And so did Sarah. What did Sarah do when she got the news, right? So she laughed, right? Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, right, God. Right, I'm going to have a baby. Okay. Yeah, they did. But there's a difference between, you know, doubting and unbelief. They, they doubted is what they did. They, didn't, they, they, they weren't people of unbelief in that regard. But there's something that's interesting here, I think even more so to point out. So Abraham, like I said, is like 75 years old, you know, when he tells, you know, Sarah that they're going to have a child and there's still a lot of waiting and waiting and waiting. And so Sarah and her wavering, what does she do? She goes, well, you know, um, how about Hagar, right? Oops. Yeah. But you look at it, it says, but Abraham, he didn't waver. I want you to think about this. When I, I said earlier, you know, you don't have a past in God. You have a hope and a future. Because Paul's being moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, he pins these words, right? Psalm 103 says that God forgives our sin. He blots it out, right? And he remembers it no more. He forgives it as far as the east is from the west. The life is hidden in Christ Jesus. When you think about, you know, the writer of Hebrews, then speaking of the hall of faith, he's not pointing out all their failures. And they had failures. He points out their successes when they trusted God. And the same will be true for me and for you. Your sin is under the blood of Christ. And he declares you righteous, you know, again, and justified 
What is that concept we think about? We take the word justified, the theological aspect of it, and try to put it into simple terms. It's just as if, what? I never sinned. Yeah, when he looks upon your account, there's nothing but Jesus' record there. Perfect righteousness. He has forgiven your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. Verse 21 and 22 go on. It says, he was fully convinced, speaking of Abraham, that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted to him as righteousness. Abraham did what you and I got to do. He believed God against all the odds because God is faithful to his promise. God will do what he promises to do. But God does with Abraham what he does with me and you. And this is sometimes a difficulty for us. You know, God tests our faith oftentimes with time. Good things come to them that what? Wait. Do you like waiting? No. No. It's kind of like going to the gym after the first of the year and you're working out with somebody and they go, okay, we're going to do a leg lift, right? Not even with weights. This is how pathetic I am, okay? So you're laying there and they go, all right, lift your leg. You lift your leg. They go, all right, hold it. Why? Well, because waiting does what? Waiting hurts. Waiting strengthens. And you go, there's not even any weight on there other than the weight of my leg, right? Oh, and you go, oh, it hurts. But what does it do? The more you can hold it, the longer you can hold it, what happens? The stronger you become, right? You know, you ever do like a, then a squat, right? Don't even try this one. You know, my wife and I were, you know, after you try this, and then you get up and you, you're walking like this. Ugh. What happened? I tried doing squats. <laughs> I can't. I mean, and you go, there's not even any weight attached to it. Just... You go, and what is it? The strain, the waiting, holding it, you know, in that position. Verse 23, it says, and when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. The way God blessed Abraham is the way he blesses me and the way he blesses you, by faith. When we count it all as dead, there's nothing in me, there's nothing in you apart from Jesus and then when we recognize that, man, the sky is the limit. Verse 24 says, assuring, it closes with this, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for is the evidence of things we cannot see. Like I said, God allows us, you know, to go through trials so that we can learn to trust him and not ourselves. God wants to show himself strong for me and for you this year. Jesus reminds us, you know, I love you. I forgive you. You know, I have a plan. I have a purpose in your life but you got to trust me. You got to trust my plan. David had to face his giants, didn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to what? Go through the fiery furnace. Was God with David when he faced his giants? Was God with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Yeah. As Larry mentioned in worship, he'll be with me. And he'll be with you. Don't miss God's promises that he has for you. Receive them by faith. 
Sometimes God will take you to that place where you hit rock bottom so that you can see that he's rock solid. That's really what he did with Abraham. He took him to that place. Abraham recognized his deadness. He realized there was nothing in his past, nothing in his present that merited what God wanted to do in the future. It's all because God is love, because God is good. God is faithful. God is true. Amen. He can be trusted. The question now begs to be asked today, will we trust him? Will you believe? Will you take God at his word? And that's the choice Abraham had to make, and that's the choice that you and I have to make. God help us make the right choice. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, and I read in scripture that the gifts and the calling of God can never be withdrawn, and that all of your promises have been fulfilled in Christ and the promises of God are yes and amen. As Peter would write, and because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. What's impossible for us is possible with you. And Father, I pray over this church and those that are here and those that would be watching, when they reach those places where we go, God, there's just nothing in me. It's just dead. I've died to it. And we, and we think we're going to lose hope that, God, we'd walk outside and when it's dark and it's clear and we could look up, we can see the stars. And they're just like they were to Abraham. They're a reminder to us that, God, you can do anything that we trust you to do. And, Father, we want the faith like Abraham. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us, help us like Abraham, to take you at your word, to be people in your word, to be people of your word, recognizing faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the word. Abraham had 75 years of contrary life to what your promise was, but in one moment, God, one moment when he listened to you and he believed you and trusted you, everything changed. Help us, Lord, not to look at our past, but to look at our God. Not to see the size of our problems, but see how big our God is. We ask this for your glory and for our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.